Salam and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host Salim Qasim, and this week, unfortunately, I'm not joined by my co-host Hossam. The reason for that is I forgot to tell him that we were recording a podcast on the day that we recorded this podcast. Um, sorry, Hossam. Uh, look, to be honest, it is kind of his fault because he sits opposite me at the office. Um, and he's never in because he's always off like doing photography and his general work so I just forget to have these conversations with him then I come into the office I look at my diary I'm like okay we've got a podcast booked in today Um, and then it's a bit awkward if I kind of message him and I'm like hey Hussam are you around we've got a podcast in 45 minutes Um, so yeah uh, it's just me um, hosting this week's podcast Um, and actually (laughs) next week's podcast as well which we've already recorded um, which is another great podcast um, ready for you guys but I this one was like literally on the day um, I I mentioned to Haseeb that I was I was doing a podcast he was like oh Hassan coming in and again I was like yeah I kind of forgot to tell him Um, so again I'm sorry Hassan yeah it's going to be awkward next time I haven't seen him in about a week I'm, I don't know if he's even in the country I'm just going to assume he's abroad um, but yeah coming back to this week's podcast uh, I am joined by Suhaima Manzoor Khan also known as the Brown Hijabi um, she has been a podcast guest on the Muslim Vibe a couple of years ago um, when I wasn't presenting it um, and that was around the time of her first spoken word piece that went viral um and I think we can take a little bit of credit for that um, video when we shared it on on Facebook went went quite big um, and there were loads of kind of media opportunities that came up after that and she was good enough at the time to do the podcast with us I think she had come from the BBC studio before that um, came into us and uh, yeah so we I, I, I reached out to her again recently and and I just thought it'd be good to kind of catch up two or three years on I'm not sure the it, Ah, sorry I'm not sure of the exact timeline um, and just talk about all the things that she's been up to she's got I think a collection of of her work coming out as a book um, there's the whole Bradford Literary Festival debacle fiasco uh, situation that took place um, and just generally I guess talking about her and her work her inspiration um, and then also the the, the kind of we, we talked about counter-extremism, counter-terrorism, her perspective on it. Um, yeah, very, very kind of wide-ranging and, and interesting conversation. I um, hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Sahima. So, salam, Sahima. Walaikum salam. Thank you very much for joining us again on the podcast. No, thank you for having me. The last time you were here was three years ago, I want to say. I feel like it was 2017. I think it really? was summer twenty. Yeah, I think it was summer twenty seventeen. It was just after. Okay, so two, yeah. yeah, two and a half years. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. It has been a while. It has been. And a while. that I would say was the the first time most people would have heard your name or come across your work. Absolutely not on our podcast. No, but no. I mean that time in, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in your yeah. life. Um, that was the the Roundhouse um, mm-hmm. poetry video. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> as in, I feel like it still gets referenced um, in terms of like the, the the content of it and 
I guess the overall themes. Yeah, they've almost been recurrent for the last two and a half years. Yeah, yeah, it's weird actually. I feel I I often like kind of think of that poem as like the poem that changed my life because it wow. was yeah no and not it sounds a bit extra but like that I sounds think, very extra. <laughs> but I think if that hadn't if that hadn't happened and if that hadn't gone viral, yeah, I just wouldn't be doing any of the things that I'm doing. And it literally was just based on people assuming that I had more to say because I had said that. So then you had to come up with <laughs> and more I had to, to come say. Up with stuff to say. <laughs> wow. I mean, we called you in on the podcast assuming on that on I that premise. Say, right? exactly. Okay, she said this. You must have more. Um, but I remember that even that podcast itself, even though you were, I guess, relatively unknown mm. um, at the time, did very well. Yeah. And we were talking about uh, female Muslim empowerment. I think yeah, it was. Yeah. It wasn't me presenting it. No, no. If anyone listens back. Um, so I-, I wanted to kind of talk about. I guess your your journey almost over the last few years, mm-hmm. starting off with your blog. Okay, yes. Yeah. So the blog uh, yeah. was in existence before. The blog is, I think, from 2014 or 2015. According to my notes, yes. Yeah, yeah. The blog was founded anonymously in 2014. Yes, yeah. Why, why the anonymity? So, okay, cause it's actually quite a funny story. And this is also the story behind the brown hijabi as a title. Because yeah. I think people think that I genuinely think that's like, a serious thing or like my it's like my poetry name but it's it's not the story behind this is that uh basically i was studying uh, i was at uni i was in my second year i think i was about to start my second year um and basically i was i was studying at cambridge which i've talked about before and it was like very elite very white very like suffocating in many ways and so it, this for me was like a tongue-in-cheek thing because i was like i want to write about race i want about write about my experiences um and I'm going to do it anonymously, yeah. but also it's not really going to be anonymous because if I literally call it the brown hijabi, the joke is kind of like there is literally one brown hijabi in this entire college. So I was like, everyone will know that it was me. And it was a local blog-ish. Exactly. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I literally yeah. just thought it was my friends reading it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Or like people in my um, college. And so so in that sense, it was anonymous because I did want, I didn't feel like I wanted to... I don't know, put my name, it didn't need to be like, have my name to it. I think there was an element of kind of like, you know, underconfidence about what I was saying. Yeah. But also it was just like this kind of playing on the fact that it was like the self-tokenization but in this context where it was very obvious who I was. So it, it was it was just like this tongue in cheek, very local, like very specific thing. But there, but there was also the insecurity underpinning it as well. I think so. Just of a, not just wanting a, to confidently put your name to it. Yeah, or just like not, yeah, yeah, I think so. Not wanting to have to kind of, yeah, I think because the internet is such a scary place, right? And yeah, it's like, yeah. it's such a big place. I mean, now I say that and I'm like, just put selfies everywhere. <laughs> but like, I think, yeah, it was just like this really big place where you don't necessarily want to be tied to an opinion you have, you know, in 10, ten years time. Um, and I, I mean, obviously my opinion has changed on that, but that's how it started. Your opinion's changed, but the name hasn't. Yeah, because I guess it just it just it just, it just, it just stuck and it became too late a thing. for a rebrand. I don't think I need, yeah I don't think I want to rebrand. <laughs> um, and the, but the awkward thing is that people do don't. I think I just do sometimes wonder if people think I genuinely just called myself the brown hijabi, and I'm like I don't know. I'm sometimes a bit uncomfortable with that because I, I feel like your your kind of um, online presence or your your presence as an individual. I know mm. it sounds really weird talking these terms, but like. <laughs> Has, has almost grown beyond the blog and that kind of Definitely. individuality of like, oh, this is just some, uh, yeah. it could be anyone's blog, right? Yeah, like you yeah. have a, you've almost created that brand around yourself. Yeah, I guess that's what's happened, yeah. But the the weird thing is it's such a kind of anonymous brand at the same time mm. that when I mentioned the brown hijabi, mm. they're like, who? And then I'd be like, oh, you know, Sahima, the poet. And then I have to like bring up literally that, the, the <laughs> thumbnail 
from the roundhouse oh, really? video because wow. that because that crazy. was on like every article at the that's, time yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's almost become synonymous with with you that's so interesting yeah. and, and like there's there's the i think one of the lines in in the poem i'm obviously going to butcher it and i feel it's really fantastic. bad now no, saying it, it back to you <laughs> i'm not I, I can't recite it but you're you're talking about how we should be loved in this country as like muslims and as immigrants yeah. even if we don't contribute contribute give, yeah. even if we're just sponging off the state yeah and i think that's such a powerful notion mm. and it's something that like till this day we're, we're debating and battling with at, at kind of every level yeah yeah i think I, I think what i noticed since then is that you see different iterations of that same thing you know with, even like with the windrush thing right it was a similar thing of like oh these immigrants are good so they should have you know we shouldn't be deported yeah but then you always leave this underlying message of like oh well, there are some that should be deported or yeah. could be and i think yeah i don't know if, in my psyche anyway that idea of like um, you know, needing to prove your humanity is something that I see just con- it's like actually a constant in in, in every debate it is but then I mean I, I think from the perspective of like a Muslim organization yeah of course how how do they kind of do positive PR work around their stuff yeah without falling into that yeah. kind of uh, narrative yeah well I think I mean I don't know my big thing at the moment is like disrupting binaries right so I'm just like you don't I think what's more powerful because I kind of think what happens when we we essentially you're conceding to the rules of a game that you didn't come up with if you're like yeah we're gonna prove our humanity on a basis where what is human wasn't decided by us and or and has this history to it so i think for me it's it, if what i find more useful is to ask questions about that narrative and it's almost like having that prior conversation to the conversation itself and saying well why do i actually feel the need to prove that why do we actually you know what why can we only get people to empathize with us when we do the same things that they do why yeah. can we only get that interest and that uh, and I don't know, I think, I hope there's a possibility for like more nuanced conversations when oh. we do that. Otherwise, I just feel like we're just repeating the same, like how long are we going to do that for? But I mean, if, if we reflect on what's happening in America at the moment mm. um, with the mass shooting that took place recently, yeah. it's almost cyclical in, in the news of, of like this whole narrative of talking about gun crime, yeah. talking about Trump uh, emboldening racists and, and dehumanizing immigrants. Yeah we don't get past that no no exactly we never make it to level two of the conversation no. which is right we've acknowledged because i think yeah. acknowledgement <laughs> is the problem right we don't actually acknowledge these problems exist yeah therefore we're never going to actually work towards yeah. solutions yeah, yeah yeah so it, it becomes frustrating yeah. that like i've cited your your poem on several occasions over mm. the last couple of years to people when we're having this debate about how we present ourselves as muslims mm. and like when i when i'm talking about content on the muslim vibe with someone or whatever else mm. and and i always kind of refer back to this thing of like it's not just about us looking good so that we're accepted exactly. we should be unashamedly muslim yeah Unash- like you know we should be just ourselves yeah and it should be a take us or leave us but it's not that simple it's not that simple and i think also what happens is like it's, there's this tendency for us to always like individualize everything and i think that's i think that's also why i, I find that humanizing kind of like that that desire frustrating because what it ends up doing is it makes it again just about us as individuals and it's like if i think what you see happen is kind of like people get exceptionalized right and it's like oh you're one of the good ones now we yeah Mm. we love you we love hanging out with you and so what it allows us to do is ignore that structural thing so even what you're talking about with like the mass shootings and stuff it ends up becoming this narrative that's like oh what you know what what happened to make this individual be white supremacist and again we just ignore this like huge huge like historical structural thing that enables that and i think so i think it's on all sides and yeah. And, and yeah i, I agree basically i want to 
I guess, uh, pick apart something from your website, if okay. you'll let me. Okay. And this is your, your, your description of yourself. Because <laughs> no, no, I no. struggled. It's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> it's and not meant to be read out loud. <laughs> I, well, I'll, I'll try to read it out loud. And I say try. Um, it says, uh, Suhaima Manzur Khan is a writer, spoken word poet. So far, I, I get Great, this. Great, fantastic. Speaker. And this is where it gets confusing. And educator invested in unlearning the modalities of knowledge she has internalized okay so all i mean by that is that so an educator like someone who i like to think that i educate people in terms of like lectures workshops speaking or just things that i share online yeah um who's trying to unlearn yeah like the ways of thinking that i have internalized so it could just say that, say that rather than modalities of knowledge you but might I just want mean, to edit yeah <laughs> I just mean the ways of thinking. So, you know, for, for example, that like that we've been socialized in the society to think if I just I just if I just prove myself, I will deserve humanity. But that obviously doesn't work because that's not how you get granted humanity or, you know, ways of thinking like that. You know, history is the history of Europe or ways of thinking like that um, equality is about achieving equality in, on the framework of like a nation state that is imperialist and genocidal and the, these kinds of things so it's just about unth- yeah all i mean is that trying to teach people and think and help people to think and ask questions about the ways we've taught been taught to think the description goes on <laughs> it says uh there's a comma and then it goes disrupting com- power relations which i'm okay with and interrogating narratives around raceism gendered <laughs> oppression islamophobia state violence knowledge production and brackets d and then Col- coloni- coloniality co- coloniality yeah now for for a, a person approaching your blog for the first time yeah. are they expected to understand this <laughs> you know i'm just signaling to different interest groups that they might be interested um, yeah and no is in I, I can see that the various different elements to yeah that, but decoloniality yeah i mean i could just say ideas around colonization and the way that because i think when people talk about coloniality they mean specifically the ways that like are the ways we think have been colonized so not and i guess it's just trying to differentiate between like i'm not talking about occupation of land necessarily i'm talking about the ways that we have internalized thinking about ourselves so it just comes back to that thing of ways of thinking about ourselves so that we're inferior that we're backwards that we whatever and then decoloniality by that just kind of how like how do we get out outside of that frame of thinking how do we you know not secularize ourselves how do we not think of religion and and other things as these two separate categories, how do we like start thinking of ourselves in more holistic, basically in our own team, like terms of reference, mm. which is why I think Islam is so crucial to something like decoloniality, because it's like, how do I think of myself on terms of reference that I have, I have and, I, and haven't come from like a kind of violent power dynamic? Okay. I, I think I understand. Okay. I think I follow you. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm struggling here, but we'll we'll, we'll carry on. Wow, fantastic! <laughs> really sold myself. No, no, yeah. no. It's, I, I, as I said, no, I'm, I I'm sure there are people listening that that understand the nuanced differences between colonialism and coloniality. I, I mean, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter that much yeah. as long as we're all on the same page. No, we are, of course. Now, th- I guess a lot of this probably stems from your masters, Some which was it, in yeah. post-colonial studies. Yeah, exactly. W- what does that entail? Because for me, looking at colonialism and um, you know, it, it's a, I think, a prevalent notion today in, in various different ways. Um, but what what does a whole masters in that look like? Oh well, um, well, to be honest, so like a lot of it is just quite theoretical. So postcolonial studies is a lot of it is like thinking about, again, in this moment that we're in where a lot of places aren't physically necessarily occupied by like Britain and France and whatever yeah. else. 
um we're in but we're still in a world where our culture is very much colonized like you know we all still consume western culture we all still want western educations we all still put on a pedestal you know western ways of dress western ways of thinking western histories mm-hmm. um you know we want to all talk with a certain accent all of that kind of thing so it's just about i mean if i was to try and like just say it broadly it's just about looking into how those ways of thinking have affected us and the ways that we try and present ourselves but also the ways that then different institutions and stuff um, embody that. So the way that the state, for example, in Britain has taken on colonial ways of thinking about Muslims as, you know, barbaric, violent, backwards, patriarchal, whatever, and then actually uh, institutes policies that reflect that same historical colonial legacy, but in a modern way where you say, oh, you know, we're just countering terrorism, but actually what you're doing is using that same narrative while Muslims are barbaric, they're predisposed to violence, X, Y, Z. So it, it gives you just a way of like basically thinking about you know, linking things to a history, I guess, and not just thinking like, oh, how did this come to be? I don't understand. From your experience, um, having, I guess, spoken to and met a lot of people everywhere at your performances and everything else, mm. do, do people kind of on the ground, as uh, if we look at the Muslim demographic specifically, mm. do, do you think they fully comprehend and understand the notion of um colonialism I think, and, and, and sorry to, to interrupt no. but like also the the notion of you know that the, the empire might be dead but you know colonized minds mm. and thinking about how we perceive ourselves as almost being trapped by this um constant battle yeah. almost yeah i i kind of think if you explain it in just a very visceral way actually everybody knows so you know if you're like if you literally just say something offhand like you know how everyone thinks muslims are backwards everyone's like yeah yeah, yeah. So in a sense, everybody actually does understand like yeah. colonialism. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But actually, yeah, I think to make the to kind of po- lay out the argument in a more detailed way, uh, I don't know. I do see that becoming a re- especially amongst younger, like you know, seventeen, eighteen year olds. I feel like there's a way bigger conversation going on about colonialism. Everyone seems very aware of like, I mean, young Muslims seem very aware of the way that like you know the history we've been taught in Britain is very like one sided. It's biased. It's not. It's subjective. Um, and so I don't know. I. I've been interested to see this real, like, discuss- I don't know, there was this group of, um, they're like A-level students who were talking about, like, decolonizing their A-level curriculum. And I was like, I didn't even know what decolonizing meant when I was in yeah, A-levels. Yeah, yeah. Like, what's, what are you guys doing? So I, I kind of do think that there is a much more awareness that, you know, the ways that people look at us and think about us stems from this history. And so people know, like I say, I think people do know that on a, just a very, like, basic level. Talking about the A-level students, mm. um, I, I was actually in conversation with someone recently who was talking about uh, his experience studying economics. He's, he's gone on to work in, like, finance. Okay. And he uh, felt lied to lied that to. he was only told at university that this is economics. Like, you mm. know, capitalism is the way. Mm. And, you know, the, the kind of, so when you talk about uh, unlearning the modalities mm, of knowledge. I'm, I'm mm. guessing that's the kind of Definitely. kind of stuff, like, the really framework at which we we see things. Yeah. But how do we uh, bring down the establishment? Essentially, <laughs> and I, I'm not asking Great for question. your manifesto for revolution, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. realistically, yeah. we're we're stuck in yeah. the system. So we can only kind of um, educate ourselves outside. So like, it's almost like you know, you you go to hear something, you know that. 20% of this is only mm. true and the rest is mm. kind of um I call it propaganda but you know what I mean yeah. the rest is There's fluff a, that they want to chuck function, in there yeah. but ha- ha- realistically mm-hmm. how is this ever going to be beyond like coffee house conversations well okay so I think I think realistically so I think t- okay a couple of things <laughs> so one thing is that 
I guess when you were kind of asking how or what do we do, yeah. like one thing with that, that I say that everyone can do is ask questions because it's not always about like trying to prove something is wrong or prove something is subjective or prove. I think actually we, we all have the power and the ability to just ask really important questions like what the function of something is. So just being like, when you say that this is the only way the, the economic system can work, what do you mean? Yeah. And sometimes if you ask a question from a really naive standpoint, it's actually really powerful because it makes... Basically, what it does is anything that seems normal or natural suddenly becomes denaturalized. Like it becomes like you you kind of say, no, actually, there's a reason this exists. There's a construction behind it. So, you know, for example, if I say like, oh, why do we only study Europe when we study history at A-level? Someone has to suddenly be like, oh, that you've kind of exposed that something isn't just natural. And I think that's quite powerful in terms of like, how do we go beyond like, you know, are we stuck in the system? And yeah. like, will these conversations ever go beyond that? Um, I think... At any moment in history, people would have said that, right? Like, if you look at, take any revolution, take any um, kind of, I don't know, persecuted minority or oppressed group, I'm sure there was that feeling of how is this really ever going to yeah. change? But I, I do really believe it's about kind of like building a critical mass. I really think it's about, because you've seen again, the other thing is that you have seen in history, there is change, right? Mm. Like change does happen because first you have to shift public opinion in a big way. And we see lots of groups like yourselves, just by having a presence, you are actually changing the discourse. You're like pushing a different narrative. And I think when that happens, it creates leeway for politics to change. Um, and thirdly, I think as a Muslim, at least recently, what I've been thinking a lot is that even if you do, cannot guarantee and you do not know whether the change that you are seeking to happen will happen in this lifetime, it, it has an inherent value in trying to change it anyway. There is inherent value in struggling anyway. Yeah. And so in a sense, it's also about like what pedestal we put this life on. Like if we think this it, this is this world is the be all and end all, then I think it can become a bit like, oh, Just despair, what's the point? Yeah. yeah. But if you kind of think the value of trying to change this world comes in the next world, then yeah, I think yeah. it's more like it's more optimistic. So to be honest, that like you've you've hit the nail on the head. Um, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't looking for an answer, but you've you've given me one that I can fully resonate with because my, my philosophy on that's exactly the same. That mm. it's not always about the end goal. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's we're working towards something, but you, you never know. You can you can drop dead at any moment, exactly. and if you're not on the path towards achieving that goodness, whatever it might be then you're wasting your time essentially, yeah. right? And I, I feel that's like, you're, you're right. You're, you're very right in that it's just about the journey yeah, almost. And, and, so. and the destination is in God's hands. But that's the thing, because and even you can see so many like prophetic examples of that, of like, and if you just think like um, Musa alayhi salam, right? Like imagine if someone was just like, okay, can you literally just go talk to the Pharaoh and just be like, stop oppressing my people. You'd be mm. like, that's literally not going to work. Like we're stuck in this oppressive Neither condition. It's not going <laughs> to. Twitter, Twitter hashtag, right? <laughs> you need to change your profile picture to a color. <laughs> but like, exactly. And so Are I you anti-changing profile pictures <laughs> to a color? I mean, I don't know. I just feel like this is very <laughs> I, short term. I know, I know. <laughs> But yeah, so and I think, you know, that's a good example of how, I mean, obviously there's a very different, like prophetic with a lot of divine uh, intervention, but. Yeah, you just, you just brought you know. that story down to <laughs> no. Twitter sphere level. No, you did that. <laughs> um, all right, so if we can, if we can kind of come back and, and I, I, I want to somehow in the next 15, 20 minutes try okay. and reflect on the last two years and okay. a half, let's say. So you mentioned the Roundhouse performance yeah. as being uh, a seminal moment and yeah. like, you know, what, what kind of really. Uh, put you on the map whatever yeah. that map is I don't know but you know put, put you on some sort of map um, and I feel like I mentioned this just before but I feel like as a Muslim vibe we have some credit to take absolutely um, yeah. you're saying absolutely that's good uh, no in, in that what happened was I think from our perspective we came across um, that performance and the one at the Runnymede Trust just recently mm -hmm. 
um, and they obviously struck us. And, and when we kind of re-uploaded them on, on Facebook, uh, they went kind of semi-viral. Yeah. Um, and that was really cool for us as well to kind of be able to see that because, again, the messaging was just so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we were also discussing just before that, had we had you come here and recorded it in a studio and we made a nice video it it probably wouldn't have gone viral yes yeah, v- virality yeah. is just something bizarre People, in that yeah. sense but i know that it's kind of done a lot for you um just you know stuff going big and, and whatever yeah. else i i, I can't remember where you were talking about this but you mentioned that you had previously approached ted um, oh, yeah, to give yeah, talks yeah, yeah. yeah so I think like in the year sort of in 2017 like when I was doing my masters I there's someone had been like oh you should apply to give a TED talk about yeah. whatever and I yeah and I applied went to the thingy whatever and they were just like you know you know ne- better luck next time kind of thing and then after that performance and everything then I got an email from them being like oh you know we'd love for you to contribute and that's happened like several times now and it's just that funny thing where you're like nothing's materially changed I have nothing more valuable or more interesting to say yeah. but somehow that I've gained this social capital because purely because of views that people have given my video so you do realize how fickle like the world great. is we have the same thing where like having tried to speak to people early on in the muslim mm. vibe when we had a very small following we're like hey you know let's work together let's try to do mm. something for i don't know how you perceive it but then for us to three four five years down the line be able to sit at the table and and be working together yeah, that's and cool. then being able to say to them and i, I always remind them i'm like you know by the way i checked because one, one guy I'm like, I checked my email. I actually contacted you in 2015 really? for the first time. And I was like, you don't understand how much pride it gives me Aww. to be able to sit here. And, and now we're working together and, and you're seeing the, the merit that I saw in kind of potential yeah. value down the line. But like we've actualized that, right? So I think that's a nice thing. No, definitely. And there, I is, think, there is there a fickle element, as you say. Yeah, no, but you're right. And I think also it's a way to like root us. I don't know about you guys, but I, I sometimes use it to then be like, okay if, if like some like younger poet or whatever is reaching out to me to be like oh do you mind watching my work kind of just being like actually give them the benefit of the doubt yeah, because yeah, yeah. if no one supported my stuff then what but how this, would I? this the thing is i guess potential is one of those things where it, it's always and like i i've always seen it as uh almost like a a lesson from god that we weren't ready for that opportunity at that time yeah like we thought you know what i mean i thought yeah. i knew everything about social media yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden like you 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 learn and you've done a few years mm. and you're like okay actually now i know a little bit more yeah and you develop a, a bit of humility as well right yeah definitely i think also yeah you're definitely right about that like god kind of gives you the opportunities when you don't expect because i think especially with the the britain uh, the british values poem the britain's bismillah thing at that actually i released a video for that like two years ago or a year and a half ago nobody saw it so nobody was that cared. the running me trust event was- <laughs> no it was, yeah the running me trust event was like a year and a half later oh, okay and they put the video up and still it wasn't and it's was only when you guys were like oh can we put the lyric lyrics i don't know the, the whatever yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. subtitles yeah subtitles and like upload it and then I was like, it's so crazy that the next day that has such a different reception to the day before. But I, it's bizarre, yeah, right? Yeah. And I mean, with that video, Riz Ahmed, I think, yeah. uh, retweeted it. Eamon Holmes from ITV yeah, were, were two of the most notable. And that was a weird one because he pinned it to his profile. Oh, my God. Eamon Holmes, yeah, from ITV. Oh, weird. I didn't know that. And it was so strange. It was on his profile for a couple of days. <laughs> and I was so like, funny. and the thing is, it gets, it gets a bit annoying. Um, and I'm sure you've experienced this. You know, when, when there's just so many retweets mm. and favorites and comments and like, you would love to be able to like interact with, with everybody everyone, yeah. and but it's just there's, there's so much and yeah. so when stuff goes viral often your stuff um on our platform 
it just becomes like okay when when is this gonna die down so we can go back to like our five retweets for the day um but yeah it's 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 a bizarre thing but like yeah. a, a lot of doors are open for you as a result yeah alhamdulillah yeah a lot of lot of stuff has happened i mean yeah god what, what have been the highlights okay so i guess after the roundhouse thing i mean yeah so to be honest with you I, I had a lot job lined up and stuff i was like cool gonna go just like do my job when i graduate and then i i decided to not i was like no I'm not gonna take the job because i got so I think some of the best things that happened was getting invited to America um, to perform like in a slam in California. America. Yeah. Oh, nice. um, to perform at like the Poetry Lounge, like all these really cool places in the US. Were they, um, were they clicking at you or are you used to they that? were clicking because <laughs> i find that weird no they love yeah there it was such a that's the thing it was such an interestingly different reception yeah and also some of the poems that are very british in the sense of like the references and stuff yeah i think people were like ah, okay weird oh, they just, okay. <laughs> and also because there's very specific like, slam style there you know that's like very like <gasps> i've only ever seen it in um 22 jump street okay yeah, yeah you've yeah, seen yeah, that right yeah 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 people always yeah anyway so that yeah that was amazing i mean ted talk stuff was really cool um getting commissions like that was really cool people being like oh would you write a poem for my book or would you write um a poem for like this event or this conference and i was like okay that's that, that's something i hadn't thought about before yeah. um performing in berlin las vegas that was really rogue um wow. uh i think just having the opportunity then because basically it's the way that that gives you like people kind of assume that you're then a, a commentator on certain issues and you know they'll be like oh do you want to talk on this panel about this thing do you want to do you know this other thing and i mean I, you know so i applied to write like a mini play and then other people asking me to write a play and so you get, you get to experiment with all these different types of writing then and uh, kind of had my own like show at the albany which is like a theater and i was like, i've never thought of doing like theater um loki asking me to open his like album launch in london like all these really just wild things um have happened and i suppose i suppose more i guess on another level really just like get getting my whole own platform i suppose that is just autonomous where i can i can write something and people will read it and i don't have to rely on like you know news media or or like a an outlet that would be willing to host me and yeah. i think that's really like a blessing because you then you're allowed you're allowed to have your own opinion basically and platform it and i think that's really quite i don't know that's quite rare well that's what we we're kind of doing with the muslim exactly, right? exactly. We're, we're, we're growing you know we, we've done the same thing where i've i've always believed that you know we have our own voices yeah and it's upon us to to i guess take the um initiative to grow our audience yeah to be able to i guess ha have a wider reach yeah. and, and there's nothing stopping anyone from doing that yeah yeah that's you know the what the i mean that's, that's the amazing media. thing about yeah, social media yeah, and we need to kind of utilize that to the max and obviously that's what we're, we're trying to do here and and like I, I, t I tell kind of everybody that comes in and, and you know, like yourself, for example, and, and obviously we've been in touch over the last few years, where whenever there's something you want to push out, our platform is yours. Yeah, well, we appreciate that. And I mean, and, I mean that's the thing where work. we need to, like, let's take the, the few instances, the, the two poems that, yeah. that we've pushed out, right? What I've seen off the back of that mm. both times has been a Guardian article yeah, yeah, featuring yeah. yourself yeah, talking right. about things. Yeah. But that was the door being opened mm. after they've seen, Absolutely. they've seen value in something that you can bring because it's topical because it's current yeah. but we're not in control of when they see value yeah do you know what i mean yeah and we're having to shape or they they're able to shape what value looks like yeah um getting into this what's what's the term i'm, I'm reading it again <laughs> uh modalities of knowledge maybe it might not be that one it might be a different one but you know what i mean Get, getting into kind of this 
internalized disruption yeah, yeah. disrupting power relations sorry i'm just reading more <laughs> stuff um but yeah you know you know what i mean um being able to i guess hack the system in, yeah, in, in yeah, some yeah, regard yeah, yeah. but that's that's the awesome thing that like you know over the years you've you've become a social commentator you've become yeah, a, a, a person of note such that in fact we'll talk about the the festival in a bit but i wanted to talk about because you mentioned um being given platforms right the i heard you on a podcast with uh baroness wasi right yeah. um and i found that to be a a fascinating exchange yeah um because it seemed like a very real conversation <laughs> like it was like you guys i want to say weren't friends yeah but like you know what i mean there, there was no like chill no, at any point I didn't like, let her it, was, rest, yeah. it, it was a productive conversation yeah. but i think for someone like yourself to be able to go on a bbc radio 4 podcast and almost uh dismantle the entire infrastructure and, and like really really <laughs> critique and criticize it um is is something of note and, and the fact that they were willing to air that the fact they were willing to have you on and i'm sure i'm sure you there was a bit of back and i can't i can't yeah. imagine they came knocking and you were like yep let's do this yeah yeah there was a lot of back and forth before the i mean they approached me and i i mean i just i'm not politically aligned with um Saeed Wasi so I was like you know I don't feel comfortable with this I also wasn't comfortable with the concept how to be a Muslim woman that's what it was called yeah. and you know so I raised this and I kind of shut it down and they were like no but you know let's talk about that I had a phone call with the producer and it was sort of a lot of back and forth to the point that they were like look you can actually raise these critiques in the podcast itself which I still wasn't sure because then you know they're going to edit it Editing, they're going right. to change it and you can never really control it so I kind of went in being like I just have to you know like politicians I was like I just have to go with my like five yeah, yeah, yeah. like opinions and these are my sound <laughs> and I can't get like veer from them and so if you listen to I mean when I listened to it I just thought it was really funny because I sound so hostile and I'm so like you know everything she asked I was scared on this podcast I thought you might come in hostile (laughs) at me and I I wouldn't know what to say Um, no but I think but I think that this is the thing uh, kind of linking back to what you're saying is that you get you get offered a lot of platforms right but then it's I think what's more important is because you could just take them and just talk about stuff but I think it it does become to me a question of accountability then of like, what will you, because with that, I was like, I could just say no and someone else will do it. But then I was like, is that, is it more powerful for me to do it and try to question why this thing exists in the first place or to let someone else do it who may not do that and may just kind of, you know, play according to the rules. And so again, it comes back to this thing of disrupting, right? I think it's really important to, if you can occupy spaces and try to actually ask why they exist and ask those questions I was talking about earlier, then I, I like to think that, to me at least, then it gives it more value. Otherwise, I think as well, it just becomes a bit self-congratulatory if you're like, yeah, well, you know, I can tell you how to be Muslim woman according to me. And mm. and uh, yeah, again, for me, it's just the fact that everything is political. So when she's, you know, when the fact that Radio 4 want to make that program, why? That's so, why? Why was is it, it a Was it on that podcast that you were, you were kind of talking about how they've almost fetishized Muslim women? Maybe, yeah. Some, some, something some you some might point. have said. <laughs> I like I like you kind of remember the things you said, but no, because this is something that um, I I ended up writing about a couple of years ago. We we kind of do this uh, things to look out for in 2017, okay. 2018 thing, and um, we stopped it last couple of years just because it's like I ended up writing it on like New Year's Eve. Okay, and it's it's, it's grim. What is because, it like predictions of yeah stuff? predictions okay. for the next year? Uh-huh. And and one of them was like the fetishization mm. of Muslim women. Um, yeah. Which I believe has happened to yeah, an extent, I think and so. like I, 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 I don't want to get into talking about um, Nortaguri and Playboy magazine, and uh, I can't remember the other model who was in the, the swimsuit edition of something. 
Um, but but hijabi again, yeah, yeah. wearing a burkini, yeah. um, and that was like uh, you know groundbreaking kind of news. Yeah. But I feel like it's there is that commodification, yeah, absolutely, um, majorly, and like you know it is a it is an area of interest. Definitely. I mean, what I find really funny is I'll get a lot of email, uh, it's not a lot, some emails about like, oh, we're like a modest fashion brand. Would you want to like promote our? Sometimes like, I did, have you? I've never like this is so off key. This is like not at all. But it's this thing of like, oh, Muslim woman with um platform therefore you must be a social influencer therefore you must be like you know capitalism is just always ready to co-op you mm. at any turn do you know yeah, what i mean yeah, and yeah. that's i think that's because it is fetishization as, as you say but it's also just like the neoliberalization of everything so and, I, and you know this kind of goes back to the thing of like changing profile pictures and stuff I, ju- I just think there's this very like individualistic response to everything and everything becomes like a kind of short very short term very like just like I don't know, you, you you kind of, you get not just like economic profit, but you get like social profit, you get capital off standing for the right cause of the moment for like doing the right thing at the time. And part of it's good, right? Because it means people do care about things, but also mm. I worry that it becomes a very superficial care. That's and that, interesting. That's like with the, so like, you know, hijabi advertisement for H&M or whatever. It's some people are like, well, that's good. It's like the normalization of, of Muslim women and of like hijabis and all of this. But it's like, but which which muslim women at what cost because you know the women making the, that hijab are probably in like a sweatshop in bangladesh mm. and they're muslim women too and that, so it's like which uh, parts of our identities are we willing to let be co-opted um and at what expense because realistically yeah. how is how is being on an advert actually going to help us be more liberated and i think it's that conflation then of liberation and kind of like representation that gets mixed up and, and it's you know so it's like oh just being in a picture is now equated with being like free and being and having access to justice but it's clearly not because you go home i mean your house could still be raided at any moment and your your dad's got a beard and do you know what i mean like that's not it's not actually changing the material conditions in which we live yeah i get that it's uh, i think the whole conversation is is very difficult mm, mm. because uh, you know at, at the same time it's like someone excelling in their field. Like, let's take the um, the sister who just won a, a horse race yeah, yeah. as the first. I, I think you tweeted about yeah, that as yeah, well, yeah. right? I love that, yeah. Like, that was a nice story. Yeah. But then I saw people online talking about, oh, but horse racing is all about gambling. And, you know, it, it's feeding the gambling industry. <laughs> okay. But then I guess, which is valid to an extent, yeah. right? But then the counter argument, you can say, well, football's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a huge gambling yeah. industry there. Yeah. Um, and I, I was then thinking about like, well, what's her, I'm, I'm guessing she's not making money off I was also going to say, she's not like feeding off. Do like, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. But, but this is the thing, right? It gets so kind of multi-layered and people, yeah. on, on both sides, people jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, no, that's true. Like when you have hijabis who are backup dancers for Rihanna, or yeah. like a Muslim woman who's a backup dancer for Rihanna once upon a time, that was like a big story with yeah. going out on Muslim blogs. And and even the um, Rihanna was dating a... I, oh, I yeah. seem to know a lot of Rihanna <laughs> trivia. This is not a thing. But uh, Rihanna was dating a prince, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all of a sudden that becomes like, oh yeah, look, he's Muslim. But it's like, well... What's the value of that inherently? No, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so conversations become very convoluted when we're yeah. talking about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, so there's there's now two more things to discuss. <laughs> okay. This one is enjoyable, which is the, the Bradford Literary Festival. Right, yes. That was, uh, when you came in here, I said, how's it going? You said, nothing to report. You've been <laughs> you've been kicking up a lot of fuss <laughs> over the summer. I've been accused of rabble-rousing, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
let's talk about that. Okay. So the Bradford Literary Festival, um, I don't know much about it. It takes place in Bradford, I'm assuming. Yeah, I think it's happened in Bradford for the last five years. And it's just essentially like a sort of like grassroots literature festival. So it, the idea is that the kind of stuff that happens in London and down south where people yeah. are like, but people are launching books and talking about poems and got panel events about like intellectual topics. They were just like, why can't we have this in the North for people in Bradford? And it's very deliberately inclusive of, you know, BME and Muslim population because that's what Bradford's, you know, known for. Mm. Um, and so they asked me to perform. I performed there last year. They asked me to perform. And this year, you know, I was going to perform. I was going to have a talk about a book that I've got, um, perform like this, this show that I've got. Like I'm going to do quite a few bits. Um, and what happened is that um, I found out from a, a list that was on the government website that, that actually the Bradford Literature Festival had took funding from this fund that is part of the Counter-Extremism Fund, but it's called Building a Stronger Britain Together. So it sounds quite like, you know, yeah, great, let's build a stronger Britain. Yeah. But the problem is, you know, once you take that money, you're kind of conceding and ad accepting and admitting that the counter-extremism strategy is commonsensical that it does make sense and that we accept it and and for me i don't accept it because that strategy relies on this assumption that muslims are prone to violence that all because any muslim could be a terrorist all of us require treating with suspicion and so when you take that money actually you're entering a transaction then which kind of says because you're going to have to feedback right what you did with that funding so even if you're using because they're not using that funding to do anything quote unquote bad they were like you know we're just aspiration raising with muslim women we're doing like um reading you know helping muslim women to read this kind of thing that doesn't sound bad that's not bound up with counter extremism but the fact is actually when you take that money you make it bound up with that because you then frame those people as people to be de-radicalized you frame those people as somehow problematic and that and you kind of also suggest that the only way you can work with Muslims, even if it's something to do with literature and culture, is through this framework of, well, they're always potential terrorists. There's always the potential that they could become violent. And so for me, it's just, it's a very much like a demand and supply thing. If you take that money, you're saying the apparatus can exist and they will say, look, people took the money. That means it's working. Okay. So yeah, so, so sorry, <laughs> long spiel. But the point being, yeah. I said, look, I, I, I'm not comfortable with that. I rang yeah, yeah, them, yeah. had a chat with them. They kind of said, to be honest, the organizers, you know, she said to me, I completely understand your position. Um, and so that was, you know, it was quite amicable on, on, in person. And I said, I am going to withdraw and I'm going to release a statement. She said, can you send it to me? I sent it to her. It was all, so it was all really amicable yeah, behind yeah. the scenes. And then when I released the statement, I, I really didn't know if it would happen. I kind of thought, is this just actually like a very morally purist thing to do? Is there actually any, because I was thinking, you know, in terms of like mm. accountability, is this just me being like, I don't want to be involved? Or, because I was like, ideally other people will withdraw, but I had no guarantee that anyone would because, you know, this is something that I know I care a lot about, but I don't know if, if other people else. are that invested. Yeah. But Alhamdulillah, as soon as I put the statement out, um, you know, my co-authors, they immediately withdrew. Um, Mali Bouatia, um, uh, like several other people withdrew, Hussein Kasvani, like lots of, uh, I think in the end there were like 15, 16 of us low-key. Um, and so then it suddenly became a conversation. It was even on, like BBC News had a little section on it. Um, you know, uh, BBC Asian Network wanted to talk about it. Um, I saw a piece as well where you wrote in favor mm. of it and someone else. Yeah, The Guardian were like, do you want to write a comment piece yeah. about this? Uh, I didn't realize it was a head-to-head. -head, so that was a bit yeah, of a head -head piece, yeah. But But yeah, it became like a big story. And I think the difficult thing was trying to, uh, like control the narrative, narrative exactly yeah. because they were trying to make it more about oh you're undermining the work of like a grassroots organization you're trying to make it fall apart yeah, yeah, yeah. and i kept trying to point it back to no i really all i really care about is counter extremism funding let's talk about that let's make this conversation about why that exists yeah but yeah that was it was it was hard yeah so um as i said i, I was i was thinking about this taking my own um opinions out of the out of the ring for a second mm. 
with regards to an event like this, yeah, um, there is uh, generally a, a large pot of government funding available for various initiatives for various different things. Um, would you have an issue with someone taking government funding in a from a different? No, I mean, if it came from fund. arts and culture, that's fine. That's, that's where fine. it should be coming from. And if someone were to take funding from this particular fund, yeah, um, but have complete autonomy over what they do with it and are able to kind of achieve good within the community, even potentially at that event, speak out against counter-extremism policy and everything else. Right, so this is something that they said, right? They yeah. were like, well, you, you know, why couldn't you just be at the event and say this at the yeah, event? Yeah. But the problem is what, what happens when you do that is that you actually fulfill the government's narrative, which is that, look, we're not quashing debate. Even within our funding, in our events about counterterrorism, you're allowed to critique counterterrorism. Therefore, it's okay. But the thing is, that's all happening here. But this same money, this same home office, this same counter-extremism strategy yeah. is also paying for people to go raid people's homes, for people to be stopped on the Schedule 7. For so there's almost this alienation. Like, we're not, we don't see the violence that is happening at the end of that, right? We're just seeing... Oh, but if we can just have these conversations, but it's all linked, and I think that th that's the okay, thing for me. If if we're saying it's all linked, mm. then all government money is linked. That's true, and I, I, in an ideal world, you wouldn't have to take any government funding. That's to me personally. But <laughs> at the same time, it's like our taxes yeah, yeah, go yeah. towards funding yeah. the yeah. army and everything yeah, yeah. else. I mean, if, you can get existential about this, but yeah. no, but this is what I'm saying, right? Like, and and I think the difficulty comes in when we, when we're taking like uh, an idealistic perspective yeah. of sorts. It's like, how far do you go? No, but I think this is very clear because with this, for example, what I said to them is that when you take this funding, you're literally going to have to write a report. Like I work at a charity, so you have, to, you have to write reports for your funding. Yeah. And you literally have to say how this fulfilled the needs of the funding. So the funding they applied for says this should be about uh, programs that are invested in uh, counter uh, de radicalization. De yeah, de radicalization, that's it. So they are literally going to be writing a report about that. Now, other elements of government funding, you're not going to have to do that exact thing. So it is less problematic is you're not directly involved in yeah. actually the criminalization of Muslim okay. communities it's fair enough I mean it's a difficult one I, I like as I said we you know we we covered the story and I think it, it, it I saw it uh kicking off in in a couple of whatsapp groups that I'm in mm. where you had essentially two camps yeah there was controversy yeah, yeah. and I personally feel like conversation and that conversation in particular is very healthy yeah that's the thing and I'm uh, glad it happened uh, that, yeah exactly mm. and I feel like as you say, it's difficult to kind of get in front of the story um, and being able to control the narrative. Yeah. But that's like, that's always going to be out of your yeah. hands. And in a way, if it's just got people to think about, hmm, where is my personal red line? Then that's that's good enough for me. If, if someone's gone, hmm, would I have taken that funding? Would I, you know, is that okay? Is that not, I might, do I think I'm complicit? Then at least we're thinking because mm. the thing is the very next, like two weeks later or something, I was invited to do an event um, at this place in Leicester. I found out that the imam there is actually the channel officer in Leicester and I was just like everyone's involved in it do you know what I mean so yeah. in a way having those conversations it, it, to me at least even if you don't agree you know 15 people withdrew so but there's not it's not you know that's not just a bandwagon so there but must unfortunately, be a reason. I, I feel like um the perception of of like the not this specific group but yeah. like dissenters generally yeah, yeah, yeah. when it comes to this stuff it's always like oh they're childish idealistic yeah. they're naive yeah um and and it's like you know you can't get anything done and yeah. we need to work from within the system to make change yeah. but then what you're what those that argument is suggesting is that it's idealistic to think we could live in a world where muslims aren't seen as criminal that's essentially what that argument is saying and i, I don't think that's idealistic i think that's really something that we should be deeply invested in yeah. and to me it's like you've got nothing to lose if you, you like really what is because the, the, this, this was this idea that like but then how would we get funding and i'm like 
Muslim communities, guys, we're immigrants. We came to this country with nothing. And you're telling me that we have to rely on funding that says we're criminal. We built ourselves up from nothing. So I don't get the argument that's like, we will collapse if we don't take you know every handout we're offered, even mm. when it says we have to surveil ourselves. So I don't know, I don't, buy, I don't buy it. I think it's a way of silencing when you say, but it's historical, isn't it? Anyone who, you know, it was this funny thing where because I was critiquing counter extremism, I became the extremist. It was like, oh, come on, Simon, that's a bit far, that's a bit much. And it's like, wow, that's I really interesting. I, I feel like people are often scared to talk for that very reason as well. Yeah. Because there's this notion of, well, if you're against counter extremism, exactly. then you're with the extremists. Exactly. That's the thing. It's a very, um, you're already on the back foot if you want to critique that because it sounds yeah. so commonsensical. You know, what, and I mean, even my brother was saying, like, some of his friends were like, I don't care, but why would she be against extremism, yeah, yeah. counter extremism? And it's like, I feel like it's, but that's why I went to such long efforts to write such a long statement to write all these guardian yeah, pieces. To all this. <laughs> but that's the thing. <laughs> but that's the thing, though, isn't it? That yeah. you, we need like a three-hour workshop to explain our argument. The government can just say a word that well, sounds good. You guys did. Uh, you guys it. did a counter event. We did. We did actually. So we did do that. And, um, and you pretty much, I'm guessing, there would have. Yeah. So alhamdulillah, we did. Yeah, we did an event in Bradford, and it wasn't just about explaining. I mean, it, it was the Bradford community themselves. A lot of people felt really betrayed because Prevent's been really big in Bradford, mm. and a lot of people felt betrayed that this this you know festival that has centered the community so much why would they take that money because we're already seen through this lens so it was a lot of people locally who wanted to have that conversation yeah. trade unionists students like community groups and we were coming together just to say why it felt hurtful and why it's problematic but also for them to say what are the ways in which we can resist this kind of like way of understanding Muslims and what are the ways mm. we can work together. So it was, it felt fruitful. Um, okay. And it meant that still those people didn't miss out on our like artistic work. Cause yeah, one of the yeah. critiques was you're just depriving like young kids in Bradford from your poetry, which is just obviously not true. Like that's obviously not the intention. And like, <laughs> if anything, that's not my fault then is it? It's like, it, it's kind of like replacing the blame and being like, oh, well, yeah, should have just come anyway. And it's like, well, I'd rather you protect those kids from the police and let me do my art rather than, you know, compromise yeah. it. Would you say there's like a nuanced position that that people are maybe not understanding fully, which is that people like yourselves, and I'm probably speaking for you here, so feel free to correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong, but you're not obviously against, or you're not against um, counter-extremism, counter-terrorism and, and de-radicalization in that sense, but at the same time are, are hugely critical of the way that it's currently being carried out. So what I would say is that the, the way that we even, because so, like to, counterterrorism as a concept, I am against because the way that it, like there's no way to div divorce it. I mean, I don't know what you mean when you say, like it's not a concept, it is a strategy in the sense that, am I against violence being perpetrated by people? I mean, that, yeah, yeah of yeah. course. So, <laughs> but like the point is that counterterrorism, even that as a, as a concept, is problematic because it's this whole idea that terrorism is a specific kind of violence that is exceptional. And why is it exceptional? Because of who it's committed by. Mm. And why are those people exceptional? Because they're Muslim. And why can't we treat it as a criminal act like any other act of violence? Because we don't believe that that violence has come about like any other criminal act. We believe it's happened because they are Muslim. And so the radicalization thesis really rests on this idea that uh, you know what takes a normal Muslim from being normal to being violent is that something inside them was like set off, was sparked off, yeah. uh, and th and that's only because they were Muslim, right? We don't, you know, again with those white shooters or whatever in America, we don't go well, why, what radicalized him, what took him from a normal white man to a violent one. We don't look at all white men and go, mm, are you seeing signs of radicalization? Have they started like you know wearing beards? Have they said whatever? And so. I actually don't, I, you know, kind of contrary to what you're saying, I do reject counterterrorism as a concept and radicalization, de-radicalization as a concept, because I don't believe that that is why violence occurs. I think violence occurs because of violent contexts. So for example, if you have 
violent foreign policy, if you have violent domestic policy, if you racially profile people, if you don't look at the fact that 48% of Muslims in Britain live in the top 10% most deprived areas, if you don't change those material conditions, you know, it's not just things like terrorism, it's also things like knife violence, right? And people who are critiquing knife violence and saying, oh, let's have more police on the streets, they're also failing to understand that this isn't a problem of, oh, young, particularly black youth suddenly just become violent. No, what happens is they live in a context where they're so materially disenfranchised that violence is what they are being surrounded by and therefore violence will be perpetrated. And uh, for me, if we wanted to talk about ways to deal with kind of terrorism or violence, whatever, I would say you need to start off by actually investing money into people so that they actually have like the resources they need, the welfare that they need. You need to create legitimate avenues for grievances to be talked about so that people don't just feel like, no one's listening to me when I talk about the fact that I'm poor, I'm being racially profiled every day, my home was raided, all this stuff's happening to me, no one's listening, I don't have any way to vent this, what am I going to do? And then, you know, someone else can start co-opting you and, and giving you a different narrative, right? Mm. So, yeah, I, I guess my stance is that I think there are lots of more imaginative ways that we can we can think about to deal with violence and that this current strategy around counterterrorism is a way that really just allows the government to not have to be accountable at all because the government says it's nothing to do with the context we don't need to hold anyone else to account we can just go muslims what's up with you what's going on we really mm, need to focus on okay, you okay yeah i i did think before i spoke on your behalf that you wouldn't accept anything <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> no um, i think it was a good i'm glad you asked it I'm glad you I, asked. I i i gave 20 words i got 200 back um <laughs> but no that, that's fine um yeah the last thing i did want to speak to you about is just what you're up to at the moment okay. um so you mentioned uh binaries i think you said de- de- demystifying binaries <laughs> yeah. but the term is breaking, yeah. breaking binaries yeah. is the name of the podcast yeah, yeah yeah so i've just come out with the podcast breaking uh, binaries so tell me about that briefly yeah basically it's just uh, you know every fortnight um i sit down with a different friend and we kind of so binary just being like a set of two seemingly opposing ideas so yeah. radical so the and moderate about guilty and innocent exactly the first one was yeah and and i talked to my friend who worked on death row for a while and about you know are, are there people who are innocent and people who are guilty or yeah. is it more complicated and do we kind of apply those categories in different ways um the last one i spoke to um my friend helen who was a member of the stansted 15 so you remember those guys who stopped the deportation flight so we talked about illegal and legal as, as categories for migrants basically yeah, and yeah. just how arbitrary that actually is and like you know what happens when we say people are illegal um the next one's going to be radical and moderate um and thinking about how you know if i say you're radical i can suddenly treat you in a different way so if i say you're moderate but how again who defines who's moderate mm-hmm. and radical um and is that theological is that political yeah um so yeah, it's gonna yeah just carry on like that with different sets of ideas i listened to the, the first podcast oh, and you. and the notion i found very interesting when talking about guilt and innocence is that your friend worked on uh, with death row inmates yeah and she was saying that they're always asked people are always asking her like oh but like are any of them actually innocent yeah. dehumanizing them entirely and not <laughs> thinking about the fact that we're talking about someone who is due to be killed executed for a crime they've committed yeah. and and her job is to try and get them life at yeah. best yeah um but people just care about like innocence but what does that even mean exactly. on that scale so yeah. that was a very interesting concept so i mean glad, yeah. definitely recommend people um check out the podcast Thank you, yes you've you've I guess co-authored books. You've like written prefaces for books. You've opened for Loki. What's what's the latest project on, on that <laughs> um, side? So yeah, so actually, I've got my own poetry collection coming out in September. September the thirteenth is the London launch. Uh, it's called Postcolonial Banter, um, and it's nice. available for pre-order online. So yeah, it's like a mixture of sort of the well-known poems, the, the viral poems, and 
a lot of stuff that people haven't seen or heard before and stuff that actually feels really personal and I'm like oh do I really want to put that out there that's a bit rude um but yeah I'm excited for it inshallah and I'm gonna try and do like a bit of a tour with it and go around unis and cities and stuff um TBC um and yeah gonna gonna be doing uh kind of writing like a play that I'm gonna be performing at the free word center in November and I'll if people follow me at the brown hijabi you'll yeah, yeah. keep up we'll, with everything we'll put I do. all the links in the kind of description um I've started to kind of do this on the podcast mm. near the end where I ask like a kind of, you know, one of those cheesy questions. Uh-oh. <laughs> not, not like, yeah, as in, so for for someone that wanted to get into to doing poetry, mm. um, like yourself, uh, what kind of advice would you give them? I, I think, you know, forget like cliche advice, but mm. what books would you tell them to read? <sighs> okay, I guess I always find this an interesting question because I didn't come to poetry through poetry. Yeah. Um, as in... Uh, I'm and like I always feel insecure that I don't have like a literature background I don't really read a lot of poetry and for me it's more like it's a way to express things I care about so that my, my question to someone who wanted to write poetry would be like why what is it you want to write about what do you care about um and in that sense I would say actually watch poetry that was my for me that's more interesting like um button poetry uh slam poetry like old like old slam as well like you know Kanye West used to be a slam poet really yeah, yeah, yeah. he used to smile back you then can, as well he used to what? did he used to smile I don't know. No, because he doesn't smile anymore, right? Okay, okay, He's I just a straight-faced guy. <laughs> okay, well. Have you not seen that? Yeah, I guess you're right. I haven't really realized that was a discourse. That's a thing. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so yeah, I would say watch stuff. And I would say read stuff that inspires you, but in the sense of like, you know, the classics. Like, Because the thing is, a lot of my political heroes are also poets. So like Asata Shakur, read her autobiography, but she's also a poet. She's writing poetry in that. Audre Lorde, these guys are political theorists, but they're also poets. Um, yeah, I think... I think, yeah, it's just that thing of why are you doing it? Because I think sometimes people want to do something because it's like the thing that everyone's doing at the time. And of course, if it's helping you express yourself, fantastic. Yeah. But what you find, I think, is that sometimes people write about things that they don't have any experience of and you'll get a lot of poems about like, I don't know. I just feel, I feel like it's better to write about something you're really invested in and have a real motive for it. Um, but maybe that's a bit of mean advice, but yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not a poet. So this this is just for people listening. I'm just an innocent bystander in this little monologue. Um, but no, I wanted to, I guess, thank you for coming in and no, agreeing to the you. podcast. Really it's been a while yeah. um, since the first time, but it's it's honestly been a, a kind of a pleasure to track your career of sorts no, i mean jazakallah because honestly as you say like two of my most viral Full videos credit. no take yeah take nah, it no but seriously I've, your support has been really appreciated and like even just platforming me in these ways is really appreciated but no it, I, I mean i think from like from our perspective it's just it's good and like we've had some great guests on the podcast um last couple of weeks uh tez Ilyas, for example who's just you know with his channel four show has been very um authentic and I think that's what's really important for, as I see it, for young Muslims to be able to see representations of themselves in the media, doing things, you know, with with sizable platforms, but kind of maintaining that element of realness mm. that unfortunately has been forgotten, I think, by some. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think also the fact that finally we're maybe allowed to be like multiple, there can be multiple voices you know like when, yeah, when yeah. there's only one muslim yeah. like it's now tokens not token right, right. <laughs> we'll take it right it's progress <laughs> oh um, my God. but no thank you once again for coming into the podcast let's no, do this again you. in another two yeah, and a half years for sure yeah or, or sooner <laughs> Checking in two if, if you're if you're if your diary allows and sooner <laughs> no, um, but thank you very much well there you have it sahima mansoor khan an absolutely fascinating and insightful guest as always 
um I, i'm if you don't follow her on social media i definitely recommend um following her on twitter so when we recorded this it was actually before um the recent stuff about this is woke magazine and i think super sisters magazine um and various others that come out as home office projects and she was at the heart of i guess um exposing that and people who had previously worked there were, were messaging her directly and she was kind of sharing um that perspective which i think is really really important um so i mean if you're wondering why we didn't talk about it that's why we didn't talk about it um but yeah definitely follow her on on twitter and instagram we'll put the links in in the we'll put the links in the show notes um so you can check it out uh but yeah loads of really great content and just i guess social commentary um which is much needed i think authentic independent voices um are what we really need as as muslims in the west and young muslims as well need to see kind of strong individuals who are opinionated and unashamedly um i guess expressing their views and, and calling out kind of uh i want i just want to call it stupidity um but calling out all the kind of nonsense that we see from uh various individuals organizations and bodies and like having real conversations about this stuff um that's what's really important uh i hope you enjoyed the podcast as i mentioned at the beginning um we have uh, another great guest lined up who's actually uh has written articles for the muslim vibe in the past um and has gone on to publish a children's book she went from writing articles about the far right to then writing a kid's book about hajar and um hajj uh, quite an interesting story which we kind of discuss and, and talk about how it all came to be in the development on her side um, so yeah that's something to look forward to if this is the first time you're listening to the TMB podcast I, I started saying this every week now but yeah if this is the first time then be sure to subscribe um, we have great guests lined up and I think it's I, I have a lot of fun doing this to be honest and I hope you, you enjoy listening to it um, and if you are a subscriber then we would very much appreciate a five star rating if possible i looked at it the other day and we don't have that many five star ratings um it takes like what 10 seconds on the app store or whatever the podcast app um just go on the show click five stars write something really nice um be sure to talk about how much you like the host uh if that's what you enjoy about the podcast um and hit submit or share or whatever uh, if you don't like it or if you think it's like four stars or three stars or less then keep your opinion to yourself i think that's the, the best way that we can approach this and everyone will, will go home happy that's it for another podcast thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you again next week inshallah